Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District by Horizon Capital, where we partner with B2B SaaS companies and help them scale with both capital and our growth marketing playbook. This episode is also sponsored by our partners at Build, a startup development studio that helps early stage startups build and launch scalable revenue generating software businesses. Product development is often a challenge for non-technical founders who don't have a tech person internally. That's where Build comes in. They help founders build and launch their MVPs, test the market, and find product market fit. For 15K and roughly a month's work, Build will get your validated product up and out. We've all been burnt by the companies that promised this for years. But Build is focused on finding product market fit and will do that by keeping you away from the feature creep and escalating costs that do most initial products. They keep costs low with the block structure, but more importantly, they have already built great products on scope and on time for founders. Companies they've worked with have generated hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, gotten into Y Combinator, or raised money at eight-figure valuations. If you have an idea and want to see it come to life as a product, head over to build.com. That's B-Y-L-D-D.com today. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how AI powers cloud automation and helps to reduce your cloud costs. Today, we have our guest, Leon Cooperman, joining us. Leon is the CTO of Cast AI, a platform that increases your SaaS company's profit margin without additional work. They cut your cloud bill in half, automate DevOps tasks, and prevent downtime in one autonomous Kubernetes. I'm not sure how to pronounce that platform. Leon has over 20 years of experience in product management, software design, and development, all the way to production deployment. He's an industry leader on web application, PCI DSS, e-commerce, cloud computing, and web application architecture. He's also passionate about his customers, his work, as well as Brazilian jiu-jitsu, where he actually holds a, a brown belt. Is that right, Leon? Welcome, Leon. Hey, Akil. How are you? Let, <laughs> let me help you with the pronunciation. It's Kubernetes. Kubernetes. You, know, you can tell I'm not a developer when I don't know how to say it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a Greek word for navigator. Right? The uh, original name for the project that came out of Google was Borg, and they thought it was a little too like uh, assimilation evil, so they changed the name to kind of a, uh, a nautical theme. Nice, I love it, Kubernetes. Okay, now now I know what now I know how to say it. I'm part yeah. I'm part of the family. Cool. I mean, uh, let's chat. We're chatting about automation. We're talking about AI. A lot of cool things to chat about today. Saving costs. You know, cloud costs are expensive. You know, so you guys do a lot of cool things. You know, you come in there, you clean things up. Um, but maybe before we start that, what is the main value? You know, AI, uh, you know, a lot of people think about it in terms of, you know, simple automation, but AI is, you know, a lot more powerful than that. What does it bring to the table and why is you know, just using automation not enough? Yeah, so so it's a great question, Akila. It's, uh, th- there's a lot of, AI gets thrown around a lot, right? So like maybe it would help if we kind of define what the thing actually is or the components of artificial intelligence that we use. And the specific, okay. the specific subset of the field is uh, what, what we use is called machine learning. And so what is machine learning? It's the ability to take a bunch of attributes or factors about a situation and then come up with a predictive model that would give you with some level of certainty what an outcome should be or you expect it to be. And mm-hmm. so those predictive models are super helpful in automation because as an example, like if you are thinking about your traffic patterns for a website or an e-commerce application, right, it's pretty hard to just kind of guess that out of the blue. But when you look at models that can help you predict seasonality, um, that will dictate the type of infrastructure you might need now, short-term, medium-term, long-term, right? So it's it helps us 
just like a good financial planner will kind of look into the future and say, okay, what are your what are your needs? Machine learning really helps us in those regards. And it's not like one single all-in brain model that manages everything. We've got a bunch of smaller AI models that manage very specific elements of the uh, platform's automation capabilities. Mm. So specifically from, you know, you can use cloud computing or, you know, financials, your personal financials. So, you know, simple automation, we're talking, this is typically like an if, sta- if then statement, right? Like if I spend this much money this month, then I'm going to reduce my costs and get, put less savings, um, you know, but then, you know, when we're talking automation, it's like, all right, we noticed every July you're spending $2,000 in travel uh, and we're going to, you know, adjust your budget automatically. So you don't even have to think about it uh, based on different, a lot more variables. Is that correct? Yeah, so okay. what yeah. you described that if then else, uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's what's typically referred to as a heuristic. And heuristics mm-hmm. can be like simple or they can be complicated, but it's a very deterministic outcome. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the difference between a simple heuristic and an AI model is exactly what you mentioned. It's the ability to kind of take in very complex sets of inputs and very quickly derive a, a desired state. So mm-hmm. yeah, we... So the, the fundamental reason why machine learning is so important and so critical and why it may have not have been possible like 10, 15 years ago, there, there are a couple of changes in the industry. But if you look at cloud operations in general, and if you look at the types of things that DevOps engineers need to do to maintain their state, they're doing a lot of low-level work uh, that is like very like close to the metal, uh, very close to the cloud APIs. They're, they have to continuously do it in order to get to an optimal state, especially when it comes to costs. Mm-hmm. It's kind of boring, mm-hmm. to, to, but it does require kind of a, a human uh, pattern understanding. So we are desperately short of all types of engineers, including folks that take care of uh, uh, cloud infrastructure and all, all kinds of infrastructure. So our vision and our idea was, okay, let's remove the human out of the equation. If we can allow the machine to make thoughtful decisions on behalf of our customers, we can reduce all that engineering time down to zero practically. Mm. What was that shift in terms of technology that now allowed it to enable it? So the the shift is a couple of things. One, mm. there's been a significant increase in kind of computing power that has led... So there's, two, there's kind of two parts of machine learning. The first part is training a model. And the second part is the inference or the kind of detection in runtime. So the training of models has significantly changed with the application of what are called GPUs. Now, it was a total accident, right? Like (laughs) GPUs are the the NVIDIA cards in your computer that power the graphics or the video games that you play. But it turns out that they're excellent at helping to train machine learning models. It's Mm. to do with the the, the kind of highly parallel architecture that those chips have internally. So the advent of the GPU for machine learning, the increase in overall computing horsepower over the last decade, and then the open sourcing of many sets of machine learning tools that have just exploded the industry, right? So you have uh, Google released a thing called TensorFlow, um, mm-hmm. probably around seven years ago, five, seven years ago, we have these, uh, this framework called Torch, Skycat Learn, Pandas, many other Python tool sets that kind of assist in machine learning. And because it's all open source and all research can get their hands on it, all researchers can get their hands on it, you don't have to kind of innovate from scratch. You don't have to build neural networks from scratch. All of these building blocks are now available to a a data scientist kind of 
extremely uh, like at the tip of your fingers, it's all there. Mm, got it. So, I mean, most people listening in, you know, SaaS founders, they are probably using a cloud service for, you know, some kind of cloud solution, you know, maybe in, unless you have your own kind of personal service in your, in your office. Um, what, what are some of the, you know, why, why do I need automation? Why do I have to think about that? And what are some of the, pl- the problems that you see with cloud service as it is? And, you know, a solution like yours would come in and help them, you know, reduce costs that they're not doing themselves. Yeah, so... So Gil, I, I will tell you, like, you know, the platform isn't for everyone. So mm. we made a couple of, so this, the cast platform came out of a direct pain that I had running a SaaS business. Mm. In my last, in our last SaaS business, so it was uh, Yuri, our current CEO, who was the CEO of our last business called ZenEdge. We were building this uh, really cool SaaS, uh, uh, cloud-based web application firewall basically protecting our customers' applications from hacks and attacks. And uh, we decided that because we didn't have a lot of cash up front, like most startups, we were going to deploy everything in the cloud, in AWS specifically, mm-hmm. in every region. And then mm-hmm. as our customers signed on, we would just increase the capacity. We're very reasonable argument to make, right? Like we don't have, we don't want to build data centers, so let's just pay as you go. Sure. And we thought that would be a fantastic model. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, Every month as we added customers and the platform would grow in scope and scale, I would have this ongoing argument slash fight with my CEO because he didn't believe I had a, a control on my, on my cost basis. And in the SaaS world, if you don't have control of your gross margin, mm-hmm. all of the other metrics, like your whole valuation is based on the fact that you can get a very high kind of gross margin in the 80, 70, 80, 90% range, right? For, exactly. for software. Right. And because our cost of goods were ballooning with our deployments, we were having this constant rumble. And I tried everything. Like in, so <laughs> while the product was extremely well received by our customers and analysts, and then it was acquired by Oracle and integrated into their cloud story. And I spent some time at Oracle kind of over overseeing cloud security there. Like Investors did really well. Employees did really well. We failed on this one very important aspect from a SaaS perspective. We failed on managing our costs. And then this is where the plot. So it came out of a real pain, uh, I guess is what I'm trying to say, Akil. And from, and, and so now when our, we're onboarding our customers, many of whom are SaaS businesses themselves, mm-hmm. we're trying to help them guide them through those pains and understand how to navigate uh, uh, cloud uh, cloud economics in the right way, in the right way from our perspective, right? And so the wrong way is to throw a bunch of humans at the problem and say, oh, we'll just spin something up and we'll just let it run. Maybe we'll over-provision and all engineers like the sandbag. This is kind of one of the interesting traits because it's not your money that you're spending. You don't want to get up in the middle of the night. So you're just going to make the system slightly bigger than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Imagine you have multiple chains of sandbagging before you know you know, you're ordering 10, you need one. And, you know, there's a giant waste of money on the table. So I, automation is absolutely needed because uh, we need to get humans out of the equation. And it's mm-hmm. especially important for SaaS because if you don't have your control of your costs like I didn't, you know, valuation becomes a big concern. Right. I mean, if you said it's like 80, 90%, so I mean, there's 10 or 20% of your costs right up the top. Uh, I mean, if you can cut that in half, I mean, that's, and you, you, you multiply that by what, you know, 10, 5, 10x? I mean, that's a, that's a huge evaluation bump, right? Just by a simple a simple adjustment, right? Without yeah, changing and, anything in the operations. 
And, and you, in fact, you lower your operations costs because you don't, you know, those engineers can go now work on business problems and solve, you know, mm. build features and, you know, solve other more interesting problems. But if you, if you look at the, the, the kind of overall equation, um, the last thing you want to do is solve this problem two years from now when you're at scale. Like, mm, like yeah. you're getting to profit and market fit. And that's as a SaaS business, that should be your focus. And, you know, but like get the underpinnings of a good architecture in place so that as you start to scale, you don't have to do a sea change pivot and start worrying about how am I going to pay for all of this, right? Because your right. Google credits expired or your AWS credits expired. Mm. Okay, so if I'm a if I'm a SaaS founder, I'm currently you know running you know AWS or Google, um, and I'm looking to you know I haven't I'm maybe doing this like you said I'm throwing a person look we're looking at this once a month. Uh, let's try to make some adjustments and you know spend a bunch of time on trying to cut some costs. What are some tips that how how can I start adopting it and, and start using this cloud automation into my my business and automate this part? So if so, here's a couple of assumptions we made when we entered kind of cast as a business and we started okay. thinking about it. First one is we believe that most applications very in SaaS's way ahead of the curve here. They're going to move to this thing called containerization, meaning they're going to package their applications in these Docker containers. They're they're just called containers now. They're going to deploy those artifacts in a very specific way to the cloud. So, you know, we're not focusing on optimizing all types of possible environments out there, legacy environments, certainly not. But for modern application architectures, if you've already started down this path of containerizing your workloads, we there's a very good chance you can kind of adopt this automation model. The the second piece we we said was, look, if if it's true that we're really short on people and everyone's moving to containers, everyone's going to need a container orchestration platform to run those things, right? So how, how do they run those applications in the cloud? So all cloud providers have a Kubernetes uh, 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 instance or, or service available. So Amazon has EKS, Elastic Kubernetes Service. Google has GKE. Azure has AKS. So they all have a flavor of this platform and it's growing like gangbusters. Like the adoption of Kubernetes is just through the roof. We believe in the next five to seven years, every business is going to deploy their software this way. And so if those two things are true for you today, if you're already down that path of modernization and Kubernetes, you, the good news is you can use PaaS pretty much out of the box. Akil, it's a, if, if the listeners go to the, our website mm-hmm. and they hit, there's a, savings, um, there's a savings tool. It's an agent that you install in your cluster, in your Kubernetes cluster. And in five minutes, we'll tell you, here are all the things we see. Here's all, here are all your workloads. Here's how we see they're currently distributed. Here are where the inefficiencies are. And if you turn on the platform, you're going to save 60, 70, whatever, whatever we get out of that cluster in terms of a rate of savings, we'll tell you immediately. And we'll also tell you how to do it if you want to do it manually. The whole objective is don't do it manually because it's going to be out of sync you know, within a couple of weeks. Like you, know, mm. you do it manually today, tomorrow it might not be the optimal configuration. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking at this tool right now. So, you know, you plug it in, your AWS. What are, what are the clouds you work with? Um, just to quickly for people to see if they, they can work with this. AWS, Google, and Azure. Azure. And then we're seeing, you know, based on forecast, 50 to 90% off your bill. So just by plugging it in, it'll tell you, boom. Uh, it'll run the numbers and uh, do it for you. So, I mean, that saves a lot of time. Um, so you said there's, is there, so here, is there, so you, there's a couple of scenarios we said this may not work. Uh, well, not that it didn't work, but just, you know, cloud automation is not, uh, where a company shouldn't, you know, can't or shouldn't be looking at this as a solution. What, what are those? 
So, you know, I like starting simple, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you look at, if I look at my own, like kind of customer, uh, uh, company journeys, you know, yeah. at the beginning of cast, I wasn't thinking about how to make everything super scalable and cost effective. I was looking for what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? And is there a market? Is there a TAM? So at that, at those early stages, you know, when you're still trying to get to product market fit, like, and you don't, you don't know if you have a business or not, like, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't worry so much about cloud costs and automation, like just focus on your customer, focus on your wireframes, focus on the value proposition. Mm-hmm. Once you get to product market fit and you see that six months from now, eight months from now, you're going to get into a scaling situation. This is when you need to refocus your resources, get all the automation done you can so that you can focus on the business features that your customers are going to look for. Can you quantify that a little bit more in terms of like, okay, if, if I'm thinking like this is the size of my server right now, um, you know, I should consider this. Or is it, you know, a dollar amount? Like if I'm spending this much money, maybe I, I should be, you know, start looking at this. Because yeah, at the early stages, maybe there's not much you can do, right? If you're spending a thousand bucks a month, like don't worry about it yet. Like up mm-hmm. to like, you know, when you start getting into the five to 10 range, like mm-hmm. imagine now you could be pocketing an extra three grand and hiring someone you know, that's a salary that then it's worth getting an extra, like if you're a team of four, you can go to five, that's money and time well spent. It makes sense. And I love what, you know, the biggest thing, I guess this is genius on your part and whoever, you know, decided on, on this model is like, you know, guaranteed cloud savings, right? That's your biggest thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, you, you can run this tool and we're going to guarantee that even with our costs, um, you know, you're going to save money and it's still, you're going to, you're going to be ahead regardless, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Smart. Um, and you have this, you know, what are the main tool categories? Uh, is there is any others in the space that you know, address this, these automation challenges? Yeah, I would say there's kind of a couple of a uh, couple of pillars of tools out there. Like when you start oh. looking at cloud costs, even in large organizations, you're going to see one whole category of tools that are just reporting tools, right? So they kind of plug in, maybe with an agent, maybe something similar, maybe they attach to your account, and they'll try to tell you what you're spending and why. But then the problem with reports is they're not actionable. Like, okay, what do I do with the report now that I have it? Right? I got to go deploy a human being to go fix something. And if I'm busy building features, I ain't going to get to it. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of these legacy vendors. Some of them have been acquired. Some of them are still independent. But it's all about just kind of detailed reporting. While we do some of those reporting things, that's not our main focus. Our main focus is automation. So, uh, and for, Startups, I think those reporting tools are even less useful. Like you're, like you, you're the the last thing you need is a compliance report. You need something to get the job done, uh, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Akil. So yeah, uh, there are very uh, a few tools out there that actually tackle this automation problem head on, and especially for in a focused space like Kubernetes, I, I think we're one of the very few lucky ones to be in this uh, environment. And just trying to understand, you know, uh, how you guys build your machine learning model. Is this just based off the one client's data or are you learning from, you know, all, you know, uh, SaaS company data and then being able to, you know, refine it and get better? Is there any overlap in, in that behavior? Uh, now, Akil, you're asking for the secret sauce. Yeah, that's a good, great <laughs> question. Um, so it's a moat. So from mm. my perspective, okay. I, it's a moat for me, right? So mm. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean because I, I, sure. I don't mind sharing, but mm. like, Imagine I have 100,000 of these agents installed globally, right? Now, mm. every single one of those customers is getting value from me. Mm. Maybe they're paying customers, maybe they're not. 
but they're sending us data every 15 seconds about their estate, about their mm. infrastructure. So we have a unique view of the cloud across all three clouds that very few people actually have because mm-hmm. we're getting those 15-second snapshots. We use those snapshots to build various models. So some of the models are very customer-specific, like, hey, I, 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 seasonality is not something that I can predict across customers, right? right. Some of the models, like the lifecycle mortal, mortality model is an example, mm-hmm. um, is global, and it's across all customers. So okay. that model predicts how quickly a... Um, a cloud will run out of capacity in a certain region in an availability zone. So we can prepare for those eventualities. And mm. what we need is we need five to 10 minutes notice because they're very fluct, they're very rapidly changing environments. So with mm. 10 minutes notice, we can, our system creates a contingency, right? Um, most other customers are left to react to it within 30 seconds. It's not enough time to complete the automation. Yeah, beautiful. Sounds like you've created a symphony in the background that's just running smoothly. Love it. <laughs> Cool. Um, Leon, this is a lot of good information. I think, are, are, you know, if, if anybody's listening in and you know, you're you are a SaaS founder, I mean, go check it out. It's free and just see if there's any, any costs you're, you're probably leaving behind that you can save on. Um, just, you know, quickly kind of going towards the personal side, rapid fire type questions. Um, you know, where are you guys in terms of size today? Have are you guys bootstrapped? Have you raised any capital or you know, how, how long have you guys been in, uh, you know, running the show? Yeah. So we put in our own seed money, like myself and, uh, uh, Yuri is our CEO and, and a bunch of other co-founders put in our own seed money. We had some investors. So, so we raised some seed capital. We just completed a series A last year. Um, and, uh, we're targeting a series B probably like, obviously a lot depends on SAS multiple, contra- uh, contraction, right? Which is we're all experiencing right now, but we'll mm-hmm. kind of closely watch the market. We have an AR number we want to hit. Next year or the, begin, the end of this year, beginning of the, if we hit that number, we think we're in good shape to get into a Series B situation. Cool. Um, so we're going to go rapid fire questions, more of the, the fun, short, punchy stuff. Um, you ready? Yeah. yeah it? All right. So outside of work, um, what's, what's one activity you enjoy doing that gets you into flow state? Because I know it's not going to be, you know, can't be coding. Yeah, it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, I come nice. up with all my ideas uh, when I get off the mat and someone tries to kill me. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> when you're in that near-death situation, that's when life just makes sense. Uh, how long did it take you to get your your brown belt? How long you been way too for? way too long. Because I'm long. like I'm an un- I started as an uncoordinated nerd. Probably mm. some people like, but like I started in 2009. Mm. Um, so I started wrestling because I was always bullied in, in high school, junior high. Like I was like the runty nerdy kid, right? So mm. um, and jujitsu is a natural uh, extension of, of wrestling skills. Um, but yeah, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I started in Los Angeles with uh, a guy named John Jacques Machado, who's like a world-famous practitioner uh, and sensei in 2009. Very cool. Uh, Leon, what's, uh, you know, you've had some success, you've built a, you know, it seems like you've started a company in the past and you know, this is your next startup. What's one piece of advice you wish you had known and would tell your, say, 25-year-old self? So I, my 20, uh, you know, I used to have this per- Propensity to believe that I had the whole picture of what needed to be built. Like the older you get, the more you realize you don't know much. So, I, I, like I wish I could have told that twenty-five-year-old, like, don't go build a massive, you know, rocket ship, and then only to figure out that it's twenty percent off the mark. Because if you think about it, if you're coding for a year and you're twenty percent off, that's a lot of human wasted effort, right? I would have much 
what we do now is we iterate so quickly with customers. You know, even before I have a, a line of code written, I go show customers, I go talk to them, show them Figma's so much more beneficial than trying to build something and then seeing if it fits later on. Mm, to iterate way quicker. Yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow cast that AI? I mean, you know, what, what keeps you up at night these days? So I have one thing, one big challenge. So, well, really there's two. And hiring engineers is a challenge for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So especially when you're competing in geographies where there's a Google, Facebook, Microsoft, uh, Netflix, it's hard, right? So mm-hmm. we don't hire in Seattle and Bay Area for that reason. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. too expensive. But the, the, the kind of the overthought that I have is our customers really love our support process right now. It's all Slack-based. So there are no tickets. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no bullshit. Pardon my French. Uh, oh, it's just, it's just a Slack conversation with real engineers that can help you immediately. And so every customer gets a Slack channel, and they, and so my, my next kind of hurdle is how do I make that scale to a thousand customers? Because if all my engineers are answering questions, I'm not getting any work done. I'm not getting any coding done. So I, I'm, I'm in the middle of kind of building this very cool scalable. Uh, and flexible support model that gets really smart folks into the channels, but they aren't necessarily our core engineers that are coding the features themselves. Wow, that's, uh, that's exciting to see. Uh, just you know, in terms of just you know, shout out hiring. Uh, is there any specific roles you're looking for right now? If anybody's listening in and looking to to apply, yeah, I think we're looking for roles across the company. Software engineering is my biggest thing. Uh, Akil, I do want to mention, we do have a hiring program specific to folks that live in the Ukraine. So um, as that conflict nears an end or comes to an end, whether they're in the fight or whether they're they're looking to get out, um, we we have a development center in Lithuania in a city called Milnes, very close, very close to the Ukrainian border. So we're offering folks that if they they meet our criteria and they, they can come join us, as a software engineer, uh, we will take care of three months of housing for their, them and their family. And we will take care of all the visa and the paperwork to make sure that they have a smooth time uh, getting into uh, the European Union and, and Lithuania specifically. So um, oh. I'm, I'm, we're doing it. We're not doing it for altruistic reasons necessarily. Like, you know, we, we think there's a great pool of folks there. Uh, but also, both me and my founder are from the Ukraine and it's kind of, it's an issue that's near and dear to our hearts. And we understand how hard being refugees of the former Soviet Union, we understand how hard it is to get out and get established. Absolutely. I mean, that's beautiful. And I'm, I'm glad that I asked that question. I'm glad you you, could, you guys can do that. So yeah, um, thank you guys for your support there. Um, Leon, um, who or what are some of the best re- resources, uh, you know, books, people, mentors, or people you follow in the, sa- in the space who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these, these last few years? So I wouldn't say it's like a, maybe an individual, but uh, I think it's a thought process. So uh, really interesting. Like my, my whole thinking around product management has changed. And I think that's led to faster and more accurate outcomes for my customers. Mm-hmm. So there's a great book. It's called Working Backwards. I think it's available on Amazon or wherever, you know, wherever you want to buy your books, audio and working backwards is comes from uh, AWS or from Amazon itself, and it, and it describes their process of how they think about building teams within a company 
as small business units and then how those teams approach a market. And they start by writing this kind of style of what's called a PRFAQ, which is basically they start with a press release. Like before, before anything, they present their business idea internally as a press release with an FAQ that follows. My product definition documents don't exactly follow that, that, that format, but they follow the customer journey format. So in the fullness of time, what is your customer going to experience? If you can write that down in five to six pages with some level of detail as to what that experience is going to be, I find the clarity that that critical thinking provides you uh, is helps frame the entire business. And so like kind of my, my advice to folks is like use that, that kind of book, that resource as a, um, as a guide to how Amazon has created a culture of thinking backwards um, and then apply some of that, try it, because I think you'll find that without a lot of effort, you're going to get a whole lot of clarity. And the one other, the, there's a, 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 an older book called The Lean Startup. Mm-hmm. Chris Reese, I believe, is, is, is the author's name. Um, Eric Lean Reese. Startup. Eric sorry, Reese. Eric Reese. Yeah, Eric. Mm-hmm. Um, great book. It's a little mm-hmm. older, but I think it has extremely valuable advice with great uh, examples. Yeah, yeah, great recommendation. I've read, uh, you know, Eric, Eric Reese's book a long time ago. Working backwards, I haven't heard about this one. It's been the first time, um, you know, recommended on this podcast. So I'll definitely check that out, and we'll add that on the show notes if people want to get that book. So thank you for that recommendation, um, Leon. What does success mean to you today? I mean, you either personally, business, financial, life. I guess there's no right answer. I mean, what what comes to mind in your your age and your experience? Yeah, so, like. I'm relatively old. I'm an older dude. Uh, I'm almost 50. Um, my, like, so, you know, I always tell my wife, I would be doing software engineering if, if, if it would, if paid very poorly. And like, if it wasn't a really good job, I'd still be doing it. So we're, we're fortunate as a family that this has been a pretty, like, interesting and lucrative career where I'm able to do the work that I love and, um, you know, take care of the family at the same time. But like, for me, the, the whole goal for building companies and it's, it is the challenge. It is solving those extremely complex problems, which I love doing. But the other end of it is the financial freedom to let you go do the next thing that, you know, you may not even get like, I want to do a a automation forestry startup next, like over the next seven years. Like I don't have any experience doing that. No VC is going to fund me to do that. So I would love the freedom, you know, uh, to build my next startup with my son uh, you know, which is a like a climate impacting project uh, without having to worry about how I'm going to fund it. So mm-hmm. that for me is kind of the definition of success, the financial freedom that allows me to have choice of the next things that I want to do to be impactful to society. And not be driven by just monetary, you know, pressures, right? To to be yeah. able to work and not, yeah. What, what do you mean specifically automation forestry? Maybe just kind of curious. I've never heard that kind of, you know, how, oh, like, I wanna, I'm trying to imagine you know, in my head what that even looks like. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind, like, I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to do it, even though I tell them, like, you yeah, know, know, so, so, uh, right now trees are mostly planted by hand. Um, and I want to build uh, autonomous robotic system that will do tree mm-hmm. planting, like, you know, just a swarm of these little bots that will go out, plant the trees and be done. That's funny. So I remember when I was like 16 years old, I was offered this opportunity to go work and like plant trees and like, you'd work all day, but you'd come back and like make like 10 grand a month or something like that. They, they, they pay a lot of money, but it's a lot of work. But yeah, imagine you're, so you're talking is like building like the, the Tesla, you know, factory model of like planting trees. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be pretty sweet. 
Yeah. Like, like Amazon has this, they bought a company that they have these little rovers in their warehouses that bring the shelves to the people through the pick, and ship versus a human being having to go to the shelf. And so if you look at those warehouses, it's lights off, just a bunch of robots moving around the warehouse, the shelves with entire racks. So I kind of envision these little mini robots can do something now that we have much better kind of AI for terrain management, these robots can can figure out their spot, figure out their spot relative to others and kind of plant a whole grid autonomously. Mm. Love it. Well, I look forward to when uh, you get to that point in your career and I'd love to chat at that point as well. Uh, cool. Uh, Leah, this has been great. Lots of interesting conversations. Lots, you know, I learned a lot myself. Um, where can, uh, you know, founders or, you know, anybody listening in get in touch with, the, with you, learn more about you um, and what you guys are doing at Cast.ai? Um, so on LinkedIn, which is the only social network I really use, you can just search for Leon Cooperman. You'll find me there. Uh, hit me up. If you are a SaaS company and you're already going down the cloud native journey and you're using Kubernetes, you got to go to our website, go to cast.ai and just try out this free uh, agent tool. Just plug it in and the results are going to blow you away, but at least you'll understand what the starting point is of how much money you're going to be able to save. Um, and it seems like the last string of 10 customers have all been SaaS companies, right? So I truly believe this is like the number one benefiter of the tech right now. Yeah, yeah, this is great. Yeah, we'll put that, that link in the show notes where people can check out. We'll actually check it out ourselves with some of our companies. We'll have them all recommended to them. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Leon. I appreciate you, you jumping today. It was nice chatting. Akil, great questions. Thank you so much. Uh, look forward to chatting again. All right, cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.